Hadib Singh Nijjar was shot to death uh, in Surrey on June 18th. He, of course, uh, was shot at the temple grounds in the Scott Road Sikh Temple in Surrey. Three months later, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made an explosive allegation when he said that Ottawa believed the Indian government uh, had involvement in Mr. Nijjar's killing. The conversation in and around uh, this death is about the independent state of Khalistan. Joining me now is our producer, Ryan Lee Hall, to talk a little bit about Khalistan and why it's so relevant to uh, Sikh Canadians. Ryan, welcome. Hey, Kedajas. How's it going? <laughs> it's going very well. I know uh, this conversation, most people would say, look, I've heard the conversation on Khalistan, but why is there such, um, uh, I guess, a conversation around it, most importantly, but what hold does Khalistan have among some Sikhs uh, in British Columbia and throughout the diaspora. For sure. And I think that's really what I wanted to find out. You know, for me in particularly, when I've ever thought of Khalistan or it's ever been mentioned within Canadian media, a big portion of it that's always missing is like, why is it actually important? Why does it matter to everyday Canadians? Why does it matter to sick Canadians here living in the West as well? And I did do some research and I found someone who I thought could really speak on it. And his name is Dr. Anok Singh Delon. He is currently completing his final year of residency in family practice at UBC. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary studies focusing on Asian history. And this is the big one here. He wrote an op-ed that was published in the Toronto Star in 2018 explaining the relevance of Khalistan to Sikh Canadians. And I started off by asking him, essentially, why are people protesting today? What are they advocating for? I think that's a great question. It, it really stems from 1984 and the grievances that came from there. So we already know about kind of Operation Blue Star, which was the attack on the Golden Temple complex. We know about the November genocide that occurred where six were openly killed on the streets for three days by the Indian population in mob massacres. And so there's a huge sense of grievances that comes from that time period. And so when Sikhs are protesting or Khalistanis are protesting, it is kind of to show retaliation for what happened during that time period. That's very, um, uh, it's very strong in people's memories of what happened. And that's a type of um, grievance that hasn't been fully addressed by the system. And so Khalistan is an extension of that type of protest and retaliation. So when they are protesting, it depends kind of on who you ask. So if you're talking about people in the leadership capacity, people like Six for Justice or these types of groups, I think to them it, it, it does represent a very real movement and something to aspire towards as getting a sovereign independent state. And the methods that Khalistanis are choosing now is to use democratic means and freedom of expression. That wasn't the case back in the 80s and 90s where people did have to resort to armed struggle or that's what they thought at the time was needed. But nowadays it's using that freedom of expression. We're talking about the common people that kind of are protesting. Um, I would say again, it goes back to everyone having their own perspective and relationship with Khalistan. Some people are doing it to try to address those wrongs that were done and to raise their voice for that. And others are, are seeing it as the same way that the leadership is, which is that, no, we actually do want to get our own country from that. We There's the historical precedent of the Sikh empire and have having had a sovereign Sikh state before the British came. And that is something that they want to aspire back towards. And so that, uh, I would say, are some of the perspectives that people have when they're protesting. I wanted to ask you as well about the push that we've seen from Western Sikh youth in being involved in activism, or uh, if you want to call it the Khalistan movement. Uh, again, for myself, born and raised in Surrey, I'm 30 years old. My family and I have never really talked about it, my parents or my grandparents. 
And it wasn't ever anything we ever saw in, you know, everyday Western media uh, growing up. I noticed maybe around 2012, 2013-ish, you did kind of start to see it pop up around social media, uh, especially on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, a lot of the times as well, coming out of Ontario, you had the whole Win Lions Roar events uh, pop up as well throughout southern Ontario. Uh, different Punjabi Sikh YouTubers and musicians, they were actively discussing uh, Khalistan and sort of Sikh rights in general as well. Uh, within that last five years, we've also seen a real you know push from our own youth, uh, meaning those people in their young 20s and teenagers being involved in sort of that activism. Now, what in your mind has pulled youth today in North America uh, towards advocating for those sick causes? I think there's multiple answers to that question and multiple reasons. Firstly, I would say that it starts with our older generation uh, and them being willing to talk about what happened. So many Sikhs, their parents or their forefathers were affected by what happened in 84, but they didn't want to talk about it. Kind of similar to how our great grandparents and grandparents didn't want to talk about the partition. So I think um, as the new youth kind of growing up in the diaspora, there's a natural curiosity in terms of the land of our forefathers and the history there and trying to connect to that culture and that identity. And through that, people are going to study about their history. And in doing so, we start discovering kind of these things, these grievances of Operation Blue Star and Khalistan Movement. What is this thing? And so there was this natural curiosity. It's interesting you mentioned 2012, 2013, because that's kind of when the Bhavan Singh Dajwana international protests were happening. And I think that was probably, I vividly remember, because I grew up in Syria as well, that there being a huge shift of suddenly, you know, before that time period, I vividly remember when it, actually Guru Nanak said Gurdwara, there was a different Gurdwara committee that would actually host Indian Independence Day parades in the parking lot during 2005-2006. And now you look at the change of what's happened with the history. And so Khalistan was treated as a bad word before that 2012-2013. And something just awoke in people, I think, when they heard about this political prisoner, Bhavan Singh Najwana, who had, uh, was part of the uh, plan to assassinate the chief minister, Bhavan Singh in Punjab. And people just kind of something I think as you can call it a sixth spirit or whatever it awoken people to kind of at least try to learn more about what happened in that history and uh, and they were very inspired by the stance that he was taking which was he refused to recognize the Indian system refused to recognize the Indian justice court he was such an adamant Khalistani and people were kind of inspired by that and the sacrifice that he had done by being there and and um, accepting what he had done and what were the reasons he had done it and so um, there's been a shift since then. So I think, you know, and kind of with, with youth culture, there's, we're in that phase of rebellion. You're in that phase of wanting to learn more, going against the system, against the institution. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to categorize it as that, because I think there are very obvious legitimate reasons why Khalistan is needed. But I think that there's this natural curiosity. The other reason is social media cannot be downplayed. Kind of there's this, been this huge, you know, transmission with information. We, we have way more access than we did uh, before things like Instagram and Facebook came about. There were always just kind of like rogue calls on pages back in like 2005, 2006, like never forget June 84 and things like that, where you can maybe get snippets of information, but you have to search it up. Now it's kind of available at your fingertips. You can learn more about Palestine and learn more about the the Sikh movement and and political grievances. So um, I think you know every youth is trying to connect to it to a certain way. I'm not going to say they're all pro Khalistan per se, but they want to learn more about it and they want to kind of gain that. And I think technology also has a has a has a big role in that. Khalistan at its fundamental core is a struggle for sovereignty and independence from a Sikh perspective. 
that in Punjab there was oppression going on at the time, there were systemic inequalities, there were injustices. And uh, Khalistan, at its bare essence, is kind of exercising that right to self-determination and to pursue your own destiny. Khalistan has been incredibly vilified, obviously, by the Indian media and the Indian government. Um, and a lot of people, unfortunately, in the West as well, have accepted that rhetoric um, and equate kind of Khalistani separatist as to extremist and terrorist. And that's kind of, I mean, in a way, the Indian government it reveals its own sense of dehumanization, if you will, because there was adamant dehumanization that occurred um, during that time period, and even now in the press that you see with all the reports. And so, um, you know, at its bare essence, Khalistan is um, uh, a form of retaliation against what happened with the, with the history of Operation Blue Star in November 1984 and the disappearances that occurred from 84 to 1995. And so um, it's exercising that right to self-determination. Just to quickly put it in a Canadian perspective, you know, if someone in Quebec wanted to say, look, I want to separate, I'm not happy with Canada, there's no Canadian that's going to go and say, oh, you guys are terrorists, you're separatists, you're extremists. We kind of just shrug and say, okay, like, that's fine. Let's hold a referendum. And if a majority want to leave, they can leave. And it's, it seems like a pretty straightforward thing, but that's because we're a Western liberal democracy. In India, that's a completely foreign concept. That's not even in the equation. It's kind of if you're a separatist, you are automatically um, um, uh, labeled as a terrorist. So I think if there's only one, one potential good thing that may have come out of the recent kind of expose that's occurred of Indian government potentially being involved, it's that the international world is finally seeing India for what it really is, which is uh, a very kind of autocratic state. That's a big thing as well, because I've seen it all over Twitter, where you do see different Indian bot accounts or nationalist accounts or just different, you know, people on Twitter from India. They do bring up Quebec a lot and they do say, hey, would Canada just let Quebec leave? And you go through the replies of that tweet and people reply to be like, hey, they've actually had referendums and they decided not to leave Canada. Uh, I think that's a really good point you do bring up in terms of advocating for the rights of Punjab and Punjabis. How would you sort of characterize that relationship between the Indian state and Punjab since, say, 1947's partition? Because, again, we do have to recognize that when the British drew up the borders of India, a large portion of the state of Punjab did end up in modern-day Pakistan. And even then, further so, India further split up Punjab on the Indian side, and they did create two new states out of it. So how would you describe the way the Indian government has sort of treated the state of Punjab where the majority of Sikhs live since 1947. So to answer that question, you have to kind of start with what is India to begin with. It was an artificial conglomeration of hundreds of different states that the British had united. Okay, in 1947, now the thing is, if you look at even the founding fathers, Nehru and Mahatma Gandhi, they invoked a lot of Hindu nationalist rhetoric in their speeches during independence. This idea that Modi and the BJP are somehow this new wave that have suddenly come up and are trying to make India a more Hindu fundamentalist type of state is not true. That's always been like that since the inception of India. It's only just being exposed more clearly now. Where does Punjab fit into this? What Indian government currently is doing right now is they are exposing the hypocrisy of Punjabis. Everyone, every Sikh is on a spectrum. Every Punjabi is on a spectrum of whether they support Khalistan or they're pro-India. And then a lot of people, I would argue, this is anecdotal, they're in the middle. They say, we believe in Punjab. We support Punjabi rights. If they come for our water, we're going to defend it. If they come for our farms, we're going to defend it. But we're not going to go so far as to say we support Khalistan. 
Now, I would argue and say that you, you that existing in that middle ground is very dangerous, and it's not something that India is happy with, because India says if you are part of India, you believe in Bharat Mata, which is Mother India, and you believe, you must be loyal to Mother India. You cannot be loyal to Punjab. But if you ask most Punjabis on the street today or in Punjab, who are they going to be loyal to, India or Punjab? They're going to choose Punjab. So it's that hypocrisy that India is exposing. So I would argue that, you know, in my opinion, it's very clear that the logical conclusion is Khalistan. There is no other option. The question is, when will people kind of open their eyes to realize that that's going to be the case? Because if you look at Punjab right now, it, it's an extension of the Indian system. There's a lot of rampant corruption that goes on there. You and I already know that. There's rampant drug use that goes on there. We all know that what's going on there. We knew we know about the violent suppression that occurred in the 80s and 90s with the disappearances and extrajudicial murders. And so we know that there are problems that exist. So if we want to, but most people I would argue right now exist in that middle where they want to advocate for Punjab, they want to advocate for rights, they want to advocate for freedoms, but they don't want to go so far, they don't want to take it to its natural conclusion. They don't have the conviction to do so. So um, for me, it's a matter of kind of not if, but when people will realize that there is no future with the Indian state because India will always prioritize India over Punjab, which is something that as Punjabis, we cannot stand by. I believe that India, like I said before, going back to its inception, it's an artificial conglomeration of multiple states. So if you look at, if you study the movements currently going on in India, there's quite a few that are advocating for separation. You have Kashmir, you have the Maoists in Nagaland, and you also have very subtly the Tamils in the south who are quietly trying to get their own state. They have their own flag, they have their own culture, their own language, and they are a very powerful group, but they are doing it very subtly. So India is essentially founded on a lie because it's they try to force people to believe in one culture and one religion in one language. This is in the constitution itself where Sikhs, Jains and Buddhists are seen as a subsection of Hindus. And so they are trying to create this uh, very artificial lie. And that's why they're so um, like emotional and passionate, if you will, and vindictive when it comes to the issue of separation, because they see, take, they look, if you look at the terminology, it's uh, Khalistanis want to carve out Punjab out of India. And it's like, well, you can't carve it out. The Sikh empire existed before the British came. It was Punjab that was artificially attached to India. It's the, so it's about the terminology. It's about the way you look at things. And you need only look at the history to see kind of what the reality of the situation is. So they see it as dismemberment. If you take out Punjab, it's like taking out an arm of Mother India. And that's why they're so vitriolic when it comes to the issue of separatism, when it comes to dehumanizing the other. And um, that is what we, you know, as as Khalistanis are fighting against. So uh, to answer your question, I believe it was like, do we actually, it, is it going to actually be a separate state? Yes, I think India will break up. My personal prediction is by 2047, so 100 years of India, I think it will. Um, and if you look at currently the way it's going with the BJP uh, and with Modi, people are more and more are kind of trying to go against it now because they're like, oh, we don't want this autocraticness. We don't want it to be a Hindu nationalist India. But he's only exposing what it always had been this whole time. And so I think there are going to be a lot of people that are disenfranchised with that, that don't want that. And so it's naturally going towards a breakup, similar to kind of how the Soviet Union was in the in the 90s. 
So, yeah, that was a great interview with uh, Dr. Anouk St. Dillon. Again, I do want to say we probably spoke for another 10, 15 uh, minutes longer, and I did post a full interview. It is available on the Jazz Show Hall Show podcast. You can find it on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you do get your podcasts. Uh, we did kind of get into the foreign interference aspect uh, from the Indian government in Canada and whether or not Six Feel finally maybe legitimatized uh, for, you know, fin- finally being believed that, you know, maybe that India do have certain tactics that they do play with. Well, it's an, it's an ongoing conversation. You see it with China, and now India is part of that conversation, Russia as well. I'm glad we're doing that in Canada, actually looking at our security apparatus. It is a very complex issue. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much. No problem. 